This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. This is Brewers on Tap. Here's the pitch. A curveball! Time to tap the keg with Lane Grindle. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Brewers on Tap. It is great to have you with us as the crew entering the second to last weekend of the season and the last full week of the season on the horizon. The final three games of the regular season at Miller Park coming up against the Kansas City Royals tonight, Saturday, and then, of course, on Sunday, and then a road trip through Cincinnati and St. Louis and we'll see where the cards fall when it's all said and done. And I'm not talking about the St. Louis cards. I'm talking about the Brewers in terms of their postseason chances. It is a tight race right now for that second spot in the NL Central. Currently going into action tonight, the Reds are five and a half back of the Cubs. The Cardinals are six back, and the Brewers are six and a half back. So for that second spot, which is a postseason spot this year, There is just one game separating those three teams. And, of course, the Brewers playing those two teams over their final two series. Three with the Reds, five with the Cardinals next weekend. So this series this weekend against the Royals, that should be interesting and fun. The Royals are playing good baseball. They're in last place in the AL Central at 21 and 29, but they have played really well over their last 10 days or so. Here's what we have for you on the podcast. We're going to listen in on my conversation with Carlos Gomez because that's guaranteed to be entertaining. I had a chance to chat with him earlier this week. He is the best, and we had a lot of fun catching up, and you're going to get a chance to hear some of Carlos Gomez's thoughts on his time as a brewer and what he's doing now and everything else that comes along with it. Plus, you're going to hear from Brewers bullpen coach Steve Carse. One of the reasons why the Brewers are in position to get into a potential postseason berth is this bullpen. Devin Williams, Josh Hader, Eric Yardley is an unsung hero. Alex Claudio has done some really good things. Corey Knable, his last time out, looked really sharp. There's some good stuff going on with that Brewers bullpen. It's one of the big reasons why the crew could be a tough out before this thing is all said and done. So we're going to talk to both of those gentlemen on the podcast today, but let's take a look at some numbers real quick with the Brewers. Christian Yelich starting to kind of come alive. There's been a lot of consternation over Christian Yelich's year. Yes, the batting average isn't where it should be. Yes, he has 10 home runs, which is really pretty respectable, but it's not leading the league like we're so used to with Christian Yelich. He's slugging at a 440 clip. He has an OPS of 779. You would expect maybe a little bit more than that, but he's done a pretty good job overall of getting on base. And you got to remember, too, that he started the year 1 for 27 in the month of July. So let's just 
play with the numbers a little bit here, and not these numbers aren't necessarily going to say that Christian Yelich has had a gigantic year or anything like that, but since the calendar flipped to August, and that's 40 games, he's hit nine home runs, seven doubles. He has an OPS over that time of 878, which is really good. The batting average is just 241, but he's drawn 31 walks in those 41 games. He's getting on base at a 382 clip, slugging just below 500 at a 496 clip. That's a good year right there that Christian Yelich is having, even though you're used to seeing the batting average be a little bit high, higher than that. The overall numbers are pretty good. So let's let's just be honest. You take the horrible start out in July, and Yelich has been a lot better than what we've perceived. But he's also been swinging it pretty well over the last few days, and that's been really encouraging to see. He did not get a hit in the last game against the Cardinals in that series, but he had the big Tuesday game in that series where the Brewers scored 18 runs and, and beat the Cardinals 18-3, to where he went 3-for-4, had the home run, looked like Christian Yelich of old. And then he came back and he goes 1-for-3, uh, in game one of the doubleheader against the Cardinals on Wednesday. And then he draws a couple of walks as well uh, in the contest on Wednesday. So he's getting on base at a good clip. I think he's seeing the baseball a little bit better. Let's see if Christian Yelich has a really big finish to the year for the Brewers here over this last week and a half, or maybe just a little bit less than that. Now, from a Brewer standpoint, the the guys that we, we keep talking about, we keep talking about Devin Williams. He's been amazing. Uh, you can't say enough about what he's been able to do. Josh Hader obviously has been uh, very good, even though the overall numbers don't look as good as they are because Hader's had a couple of outings where he got touched up a little bit. But um, 14 and two-thirds innings, he's only allowed runs in three of his uh, three of his 16 appearances this year and uh, 23 strikeouts for him. Overall, pretty good year from Josh Hader, but Devin Williams has been crazy. 3-1, .43 ERA, 21 innings, and 43 strikeouts for Devin Williams. It's really been incredible what he's been able to do. Brent Suter's done a nice job as a spot starter for the Brewers. He's got his ERA down to 3-1-2, but the guy that we're not talking enough about is Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns, is putting together a Cy Young caliber season. Now, he's going to go tomorrow night against the Royals. But Corbin Burns allowed three runs in Pittsburgh over five and a third innings back on August the 23rd. Since that time, Corbin Burns, let's look at his numbers. He has made four starts. He has thrown 23 and two-thirds innings. He has a .38 ERA. He's given up one earned run over his last four starts. This is a Cy Young candidate, and he's one of the reasons why the Brewers are in the position that they're in. Okay, let's jump into it with Carlos Gomez. Carlos Gomez, one of the most entertaining Brewers uh, of the last decade, two decades, probably of all time in Brewers franchise history. Just an absolute fan favorite. You see the gold glove in the background right over his shoulder. Good to see you, Gomi. How are you, man? Hey, how are you, man? Thank you for, for inviting me to this special interview. And, uh, you know, uh, always it's a, it's a privilege to talk to you guys. Well, it's great to have you with us. I know everywhere we go, people always ask, you know, about Carlos Gomez and his time with the Brewers and, and how much fun they had watching you play the game. And that's just your style. I mean, you loved playing the game and you played it at, at, at a very high level with a lot of energy. 
And you really did that consistently from day one when you were making your debut in 07 with the Mets all the way through out your career, which ran up until last season. Uh, I mean, is that just how you were brought up in the game to, to play with a lot of energy, to have fun while you're doing it and to just kind of let it fly? I mean, like when I'm going to start playing baseball, like uh, seriously, when I'm like 14, 15, that I see it, that I have uh, some type of special ability to play. And my dad told me, oh, you're going to give everything you have by not playing. So I take that advice and I play. But the more important that I did is that, that I have fun. You know, I do, I do like, um, you know, basically it's a game and, and I take it like this, it's a game. So every time that I cross that line, I feel like a little kid. So I enjoy every single, even when I'm a strikeout, you know, like uh, it's not like I'm enjoying it in, in, in a positive way, but that strikeout motivate me to, they're not a bet. So, you know, it's like the competition, the love of the game, the fans, very important because, you know, I, and right now I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm not a baseball player anymore. So I want to see myself playing baseball. So when I'm watching game, I, I like to see a guy hustling. I like to see the guy that have some character. Like, you know, one of my, uh, my kids following baseball player, and he loved watching like Francisco Lindor, Javi Baez, you know, mm -hmm. like Arcia. I, I like watching Arcia play. You know, he's got that that um, that self appeal in himself. Like you know, like he's the man. He's happy. He's contagion. Like Lorenzo Cain, you know. You know, you just mentioned four guys right there, Carlos, and and all four of them. When I think of them. I think of how they always play with a smile on their face. Lindor has one of the best smiles in baseball. I mean, he is always having fun, always looks like he's enjoying the game. Javi Baez is one of the most exciting players that I've watched play baseball in a long time. He's always having a lot of fun. Obviously, Orlando, I mean, a couple of years ago, Orlando took some ice cream out of, out of somebody's cup in the first front row <laughs> when he went in to try to catch a ball in foul territory. And then Lorenzo Cain, is the exact same way. I mean, he is always smiling and, and playing with such a, a youthful exuberance about him. And, and I, I'm with you. I think as a viewer, and obviously I'm a broadcaster, but, but I watch a lot of baseball too when I'm not on the call. And as a viewer, that makes me enjoy the game more because I want to I feel like the guys that are out there are having a blast. And when I see that, it, it endears me to the sport all that much more and I enjoy watching the game more when it's that way and that's exactly how you play yeah I mean you know like as a fans I respect a lot of the fans because like you know when you have those days like you down when you see the fans like it's how you motivate yourself by the time that you go out to stretch and 10 minutes before the game that you see around the stadium you say whoa all those people are going to watch me so if you feel fatigued, if you feel tired, like, you know, I'm going to give you the best show that they can have it. And that they can wait to come to the next day to the stadium. So, you know, I take it like an easy show for the fans. And um, as a player, you want to give the best shows and the best memory that they can have. Carlos, I want to talk to you about the guy that I work with. And we're talking about entertaining and he's one of the most entertaining people on the planet, and that's Bob Uecker. He speaks so highly of you. 
he, he, he really loves telling stories about when you were with the club and the fun that you two used to have together. You guys had a great bond. No, man, like he say that, but I say more because I say, well, if I make it to be 80 years old, I just want to be like you, you know? <laughs> we like, all do, uh, yeah. I mean, like uh, age is only a number, but like, you know, that, that guy is, is a godfather to all us, you know? Like, uh, you know, every time that I see you, no matter what, how, what is my mood, you know, that day, because sometimes you have, you'll be a struggling, you have some situation. But when you see you and they tell story about anything, like you, you're not thinking anymore. Just you smile, you're happy. And every time I see you guys, crack me up. Like, and we're talking every time that he go to the, to the, to the clubhouse, he goes straight to my locker and talk, hey, Gogo, come here. And I see you swimming. I see you a lot of stories. I mean, unbelievable. You know, one of the biggest things that I miss is the, to be in that clubhouse is both you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What What would he always say? Uh, well, he still says it around us, but I know you know it. Nice, real, nice. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, when that, you know, we have a, like a, like a handshake. Me and yeah. you have like. Like a big handshake, like we open the hands like really big, and we go like, and look at each other out the eyes, and say nice, real nice, and uh, <laughs> walk away. That's outstanding. That is great. He still says that all the time uh, around us in the booth as well. And and I know I've seen I've seen clips of you two doing that on the field. Always entertaining. You, you mentioned that you knew you know, maybe around the age of 13 that you, you had a pretty special skill when it came to baseball. Was that when you knew like this could be something that could really be fruitful for me? Or did you know even maybe a little bit before that, that you had some pretty special skills when it came to baseball? I mean, when I'm, I always be a, like a special kid and athlete because always my parents pushed me to do some sports stuff. I grew up in the really bad area, so they don't want me to be around that. So, you know, the more important that my, my parents that I need to do as a, as a kid is like go to school and then after school, when my free time, try to look in something to uh, positive. What I do, I did, I did boxing, I did kickboxing, uh, judo, and baseball, basketball. So I keep my mind and my body always in a sport so I don't do the, 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 the negative stuff. So in every sport that I do, always I'm like you know like I learn fast and I create that type of ability and that type of athletes physically. And when I'm like 14, you know when I see like that I hit a homer in the in the regular stadium, like you know, I'm really fat and I have a good arm. I say no, you know I'm gonna spend uh, the quality time to be try to be a baseball player because, you know, like uh, as, a, as a family, my, my dad used to be like a delivery and my mom working like a, like a factory. So it's not, it's not good um, income to, 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 to home. So, you know, I see that I can change that with my, with my vision and, and, and the sport ability that God gave me. So I'm gonna start playing when I'm 15 working like a really professional, you know, 
And a year later, after that, I signed with the New York Mets. The Father's you, Day, Father's Day, 2007. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You, you had, um, obviously, an unbelievably great career, very productive, 13 different seasons that you were a part of at the big league level. And as you said, you, you made your debut with the Mets, then you were a twin for a couple of years, then all that time with the Brewers uh, before Houston, Texas, Tampa Bay, and then back to the Mets uh, at the very end. But um, your time in Milwaukee, you were an all-star in 13 and 14. Have you ever looked, I'm sure you have, at your numbers for those two years and how crazy similar they were? I mean, they were almost identical seasons. You won the gold glove in 13, but your offensive production, I think you hit 284 both years. You had 23 and 24 home runs, 73 RBIs or somewhere in that range. I mean, the numbers were unbelievably similar in those two all-star seasons. I mean, numbers way, these are my best two seasons at Milwaukee, but I'm an all-star for the day one that I get there. That's what they made me feel, the fans, the team that front office, like this is special, special, like the way they treat me, the way they, they, you know, believe on me. So by the day one that I get traded for Minnesota to, to the Brewers, like I'm an all-star. That's why, you know, like when I get traded, it's a lot, um, uh, I say, uh, everybody cry in their room. You know, I feel like uh, I lead my, my best tour and that clubhouse. So, you know, but it's part of baseball and always as a baseball player, I always look at myself. And when you talk about Carlos Gomez, you remember him like a Brewers. Yeah, I think everybody thinks of Carlos Gomez as a Brewer. You got the hat on, you're representing it tonight. Yeah, man. We appreciate that. I want to talk about the trade in 15, but before we do that, I want to ask you about scoring the winning run in the 2011 uh, Divisional Series against the Diamondbacks. And just that, that whole moment, being able to play such an important role in it, it was such an important part of Brewers' history at the time. And how often do you look back on that moment and just smile? I mean, for, for be honest, like, a lot of times that I'm watching that, I get emotional. I get emotional, like, I cry to like the happiness way, you know, like uh, uh, because on my heart, I want to be, I want to finish, I want to be a Brewers for, for life, you know, finish, start like, because I feeling like uh, my career start in 2010 when I get traded there, because I prepare myself really hard to prove the Minnesota Twins beautiful organization that I always be thankful because my name is starting, uh, everybody start calling Gogo my time in Minnesota. So I always be thanking my family too. But when I get traded and I see, you know, hope, like, you know, I gotta have a new opportunity to establish myself and as a big league level, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, and that, uh, that experience, to be in that game, you know, every time that I watch that highlight, you know, I get, I get, I get like emotional. Sometimes my kids say, the biggest one, like, why you, why you, why you feel like that? I say, because it's one of my best and crazy moments that I ever have in baseball. That and the one, you know, and he say, but you have a, you, you be in the All-Star game. I say, yes, 
but that game and the one that I play in Minnesota is the more impact game that I ever that I ever played. You, as a part of that eleven team, there were so many personalities in that clubhouse. I mean, that had to be fun just to be a part of that team. Obviously, you're winning. And you go to the NLCS before the, the Cardinals ended up winning and going on to the World Series. But the personalities in that clubhouse, um, Niger Morgans, who everybody always, you know, talks about first because he had such a big personality. But there, there were a lot of others, too. And the way you guys made all those personalities blend together and pull in the same direction is really pretty incredible. I mean, like, yeah, that's why that team is special, man. That come, that come from, the, from the top to the bottle, like the front office, do you see the, the those GM, Doc Melvin, and uh, the assistant GM, Gorash, walking around and and, uh, and the clubhouse, and even the owner, you know, Athanasio, you know, try, try to make like that good vibe. And the player, Nigel Morgan, Prince Field, Ricky Weeks, Corey Hart, Luke Croy, everybody pulls something like you know the like you see Printfield that laugh that laugh contact you know like you see Corey Hart the the way you know like he come to the the, the good move he come to the stadium every day the the professional Ryan Brown like the um, you know and uh, energy or Nigel Morgan together with me you know it's like um. It's like popping champagne right there. Like uh, not not every time you have a team with that kind of mix and uh, and work the way they, they the way they work and uh, and have that type of manager flexible to make us or feel ourselves. Well, I'm not gonna lie. I really enjoyed that conversation with Carlos Gomez, and that's just a snippet of it. Uh, there was a whole lot more to our Clubhouse Conversations. And if you're not watching our Clubhouse Conversations, well, first off, shame on you. You should be joining us for those. We do them on Mondays an hour before first pitch uh, throughout the regular season. We have one more scheduled as of now. We'll probably have some more that we'll be scheduling once the season ends also. But Fernando Vina will join us Monday for our Clubhouse Conversation. And we hope that you'll watch us on Brewers.com at 4.30 Central Time on Monday with Fernando Vina. I had a chance to catch up last week with Steve Carsey, Brewers bullpen coach, and we talked about this bullpen. you got a Rookie of the Year candidate and Reliever of the Year candidate right now in Devin Williams. Of course, you've got the two-time National League Reliever of the Year in Josh Hader, and you got some other really interesting pieces like Eric Yardley, Alex Claudio, Brent Suter, and guess what? Corey Knable's starting to look pretty good on the mound again as well. I had a chance to talk to the bullpen coach of the Brewers, Steve Carsey. Let's break it down. Brewers bullpen coach Steve Carsey is our guest, and it, let's just go back to last night's game. As a pitching guy, you can't really draw it up any better than that. Uh, he gets seven scoreless with just one hit from Woody, no walks, 12 strikeouts, and then, of course, your two guys, Devin Williams and Josh Hader, doing what they do best. That's exactly how you draw it up. Yeah, it's a lot of fun when games go uh, as planned. You can send your starter out there and as a dominant performance as Woody did and then uh, hand the ball off to two exceptional guys who, who have been very good this year um, in, in this shortened year, uh, preparing themselves and getting them ready. Obviously, uh, you know, Devin has, has grown quite a bit uh, as, as a young player. 
getting a taste last year in the big leagues, uh, understanding who he is and, and what he does best uh, and, and using that to his advantage. And, you know, Josh, obviously, you know, doing Josh things as, as he comes in and uh, closes the door. Do you believe, like so many others, that Devin Williams' changeup might be the best pitch in baseball right now? It's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of, lot of conversations, uh, you know, with friends and, and, and people in the industry that I know about it, and it's, it's definitely a unique pitch. Uh, you know, it's, it's a special pitch. It's, it's, it's a gift given to him from, from the time he started throwing it at 10 years old just to, to make kids look silly in the neighborhood, uh, you know. Uh, talking with a few guys about it, you know, you, you, you try to find a word for it. And the one that pops to mind is, is a unicorn. You know, you think it doesn't exist, but maybe right. it does, you know, and he has, uh, he has this just special gift to be able to spin the ball a certain way. I know it's a change up, but uh, you know, it has the speed differential, the movement profile. That's uh, very unique. When, when I talk about it, I always tell people it's an unbelievable pitch, but when you pair it with his fastball, it's like a great wine pairing, right? I mean, it's like perfect because a lot of guys have great changeups, but maybe they don't have the velocity that he has. And you just mentioned the differential on top of the movement and the command of it and the spin rate and everything else that he brings to the table with that pitch. Yeah, it, it's different. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody who has a changeup like that wishes they could throw 96 or 97. That's what makes him unique, right? Guys gear up for the fastball uh, and they get the changeup that has, you know, uh, unbelievable amount of movement. And, and, and now that he can command it to the both sides of the plate, you can't look in one area for it. Plus, uh, you know, you have to be aware of, of 96. Uh, it, it's a very tough thing to do uh, for hitters. And uh, you know, we're seeing it play out uh, before our very eyes right now. Oh, yeah, he doesn't have a bad slider either. He doesn't go to it very often because he doesn't need to, but that pitch has been a good pitch for him in the past as well. Josh Hader's throwing a lot more sliders this year. He talked to me about it last week that, you know, he felt like he had to try to stay a step ahead because hitters are so good in this league, and he worked a lot on it all off season. He's even working on that changeup, and at some point maybe he will bring that out in a game down the road. But his development, I mean, I, I think it's a great example. Sometimes you, you see a guy just dominate and you think, well, his development's over, but it never stops, right? And that's kind of been the case with Josh. A hundred percent. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Is, is when guys get to the big leagues, sometimes they feel like their development's over and, and they can't grow and get better. Uh, that hasn't been the situation with Josh. Josh uh, has, has been very good for the last, you know, two years winning an NL reliever of the year. Uh, but continues to want to get better, continues to want to learn, continues to want to grasp the information uh, and it's make himself a complete pitcher. You know, uh, guys, last year, I mean, it was a high, high home run total for Josh, right? Uh, through his fastball, what, about 84, 85% of the time, you know, guys just didn't worry about the, the slider. You know, if he threw a slider for strike one, uh, they were like, okay, I'm probably not going to get another one, so I got to try to cover where I think he's going to throw his fastball on me. This year's a little bit different. Uh, you know, he came out of the gates, he worked on the slider, uh, you know, did a very good job during quarantine to, to try to, you know, figure out the spin and, and how to locate it to both sides, how to bury it back foot, uh, and, it's, and it's been a successful pitch for him. It's evened out who he is. Uh, his strikeouts may be down just a, a touch, but his pitch count is also down, which makes him available more, more days out of the out of the week than than he's used to with a high pitch count. Steve, 
we're kind of at that phase of the season now where it's go time, right? It's like postseason every day as you're fighting your way into the postseason with a spot. Do you, as a staff, have conversations about making guys available more often now than maybe they were at the beginning of July or the middle of August? Or does everybody just kind of understand that you might have to give the ball to Devin Williams and Josh Hader a little bit more over these next two weeks? Yeah, you know, I think we do our due diligence on a daily basis. Uh, you know, we're in constant communication with these guys. They, they go through their daily prep work. Uh, you know, they go out for stretch and they do their throwing program. And then we assess where these guys, at, uh, where these guys are at on a daily basis, uh, how they feel, how their recovery is, how they've bounced back, how much workload they've had in the past four or five days. Uh, we take all of that into consideration and then put the plan together in place. And then Craig executes that plan to the best of his abilities as, as the game unfolds. Everybody's talked so much about Devin and Josh, but this whole bullpen's been really good. And guys like Eric Yardley have been grossly overshadowed in some ways uh, by the dominance of those two guys. And yet Yardley's been really effective for you, Alex. Claudio's given you some really important innings. David Phelps, before he was moved, obviously did some really good things for you. This has been a really deep bullpen overall this year, it feels like. Would you agree? Yeah, a lot of unsung heroes, right? I mean, you know, you, you, you have the names at the back end who, who do get uh, the publicity and, and, and most of the notoriety, but the guys who fill in the middle of the game are, are as, as equally as important as the guys who, who close it out at the back end of the game. They got to hold it close. They got to they gotta hold the lead. Uh, you know, it gives us different looks coming out of the pen. You know, Yardley uh, from, from the side, Claudio from the side, you know, Rasmussen and Feierheisen, uh, who have different profiles when they come into the game uh, as well. Um, you know, uh, these guys take pride in what they do. Uh, it's constant communication and conversation down there about each guy doing their own thing, doing their job and handing the ball off to the next guy so they, they can complete their work and at the end of the day, hopefully come out with a win. When you look at Corey Knebel, I think everybody sees a guy come back from Tommy John and they think, yeah, he's going to be Corey Knebel from 2018 at the end of the year. And that's not how it works. Uh, David Phelps was telling me earlier this year that there's kind of that sweet spot, and it takes a while to get to that sweet spot post-Tommy John. Corey's probably not there yet, although his last outing was very effective, and I think he got some good work in while he was at the alternate site as well in Appleton. But I, I have to think that the primary goal this year with Corey was just get him through the season healthy, get him to a normal offseason, and let him be really ready to be Corey Knable at the beginning of 2021. At the same time, if you can get him closer to that here down the stretch, that's all that much better. But I have to think the primary goal for everybody was let's get you some innings, get you through this year healthy, and get you into the offseason so you can have a normal offseason. Is that pretty accurate? It's extremely accurate, but Corey was put in uh, a very tough situation. Uh, coming off of Tommy John, uh, rehabbing during spring training, building up to come into the season, and then COVID hit, right? So he didn't have a traditional rehab ramp up right. period in the minor leagues like the majority of guys do when they come back. You know, he would have finished spring training. He would have went to the triple or it's probably the single A club, threw a couple of innings there, would have progressed to double A, have made a few there, would have gone to triple A, finished off his rehab and built up. Um, you know, unfortunately that he was not able to do that. Uh, you know, he, he probably created some bad habits that he's trying to work through now during that rehab process of not facing 
true hitters. Um, as he was making his way back, he had to go to Texas for three months and do his rehab there facing whoever he was facing. And, uh, you know, the intensity levels and, and the competition is just not the same when you do that. So uh, it was an unfortunate situation. It's nobody's to blame. Um, now it's just a back and being healthy, getting innings underneath his belt, getting workload there, uh, and getting him back to being able to recover on a daily basis as he would if, uh, uh, you know, he was, he was during a normal rehab process. It's really hard to compete at the big league level when you're trying to rehab any type of uh, injury that you're coming back from, never mind a Tommy John surgery. Yeah, that's a great point, and I think we all know Corey's a grinder. I don't think anybody has any doubt that he's going to get himself back to where he was and maybe even better before it's all said and done. And, look, Corbin Burns is the last guy I want to ask you about because of the work he put in in September. A lot of that work was with you in September last year, trying to get himself ready already for 2020, knowing that 2019 was a disappointment for him. And what he did in Phoenix all winter, um, with the pitching lab and everything else. I mean, this is an incredible story that I think is going to be talked a lot more about over the next two weeks of the season, too, as he continues to kind of put himself in the headlines. But this is another example. We talk about Corey being a grinder and working hard. This doesn't happen if Corbin doesn't make up his mind that he's not going to let 2019 happen again. A hundred percent. You know, it was a tough year for Corbin last year. You know, I think uh, as he went as he went through the process of it last year and then got into September, uh, there was a lot of conversations, obviously, between myself and him. There was conversations between Hookie and him. him. Uh, you know, it, it was on him to take accountability of, of getting better and wanting to do certain things. That process started in September, carried over into the offseason and then carried over into uh, you know, the, the downtime that COVID provided when he was out in Arizona and being able to use the facility out there. Ironed out some things, you know, uh, obviously, as we've seen, added his two-seamer back. Uh, incredible uh, ability to spin the baseball, um, which uh, gives him an advantage of being able to work uh, east-west and both sides of the plate. Um, you know, so, you know, when, when guys – are working hard um, when guys are taking accountability uh, for their careers and want to and have the drive to get better. Uh, this is kind of what you see uh, when, when guys put, put their mind to it, you know, Corbin could have easily dwelled on 2019 and, and what had happened, but uh, to have a mindset the way he does uh, to, to kind of put that in the past and push forward, and have an understanding of like Corbin got to the big leagues within three years. It's a pretty fast track and, and to have success. I don't know how much, uh, you know, how much he didn't have success in the minor leagues coming up. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have to go through a, a tough period in your career to learn uh, and, and to fight through that and to get better and, and move forward. Well, Steve, we appreciate it. Thank you for giving us some time here today. A lot of really good insight and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you down the road. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for us in this week's edition of Brewers on Tap. Episode number 185 is in the books. We have another one coming your way next week. Brewers making that push for the postseason. It's going to be a wild postseason. Extra teams getting in this year. Boy, it'd be fun if the Brewers can be a part of it. little work to do, but a big road trip coming up. Have a great weekend. Enjoy Brewers baseball. And stay safe, everybody. I'm Lane Brindle. Brewers, Brewers, Brewers.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. 